Welcome to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin, and you are listening to part two of my conversation with Dr. Amanda Allard. Dr. Amanda has a PhD in communications from Michigan State University. She's a TEDx speaker, entrepreneur, keynote speaker, all around amazing lady. And I can't wait for you to check out the rest of my conversation with her. If you have not checked out part one, pause this particular podcast episode, go back to part one, check it out, and then come back to this one. Thanks for tuning in today. Life is all about relationships and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue Podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. You know, what you do is important and it impacts people's lives. Um, I have an example that I'd like to use. Okay. We have a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who remember, uh, a good friend of the show, as well as a good friend of mine, Tony Mandarich. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who don't remember who Tony is, Tony was the number two overall draft pick in 1989 for the Green Bay Packers. And Tony won't mind me sharing this part because he's said it himself out loud. Unfortunately, Tony is known as one of the biggest busts in NFL history. Uh, of his own making. Uh, He used steroids when he was in college and knew that the NFL, their drug testing was more stringent than it was in college. And so he stopped taking it. And because of that, he got hurt. And so he got addicted to painkillers. Now, fortunately, Tony is 27 years sober now. So, so proud of you, Tony. Always proud of that. But I'm also proud of the next thing I'm about to say. And that is Tony went into the NFL before he graduated college Mm -hmm. in the not so distant past, like within this last year, Tony finished his bachelor's degree from Michigan State University with the help of Dr. Amanda. Yes. How did that come about? So he he was uh, part of my diversity and communication online course in the summer and Uh, I obviously can see the roster of the students that I'm teaching. So I saw his name and I was like, that sounds really familiar. And um, I obviously, there was no special treatment. I didn't, you know, reach out or do anything of that nature, but I thought it was very cool that he was in my class and it was nice connecting with him. And he was a great student and I learned a lot from him as well because he was on one of my older students. So he added a really great perspective to the course and I appreciated it. But yeah, uh, that's how he basically was taking my diversity and communication course. And that course, it was an interesting class because I was never expecting to teach that class. And I was sitting here and I was like, I don't feel equipped. I just didn't feel right teaching it, especially with how divided America is right now on or on politics and religion and sex and all of these things. And I never wanted to offend anyone. So I went in with the mindset that I'm going to teach people the facts, but I'm going to teach them how to be empathetic and how to be kind to each other. And that is, that was 
the best course I've ever taught. And it has influenced wow. everything I do to this day because empathy is so important. And it actually is what sparked my drive and kind of motivation to apply to be a TEDx speaker was mm. because I was teaching about this concept. I think I feel like we were going about DEI completely wrong in our nation at that time. I think we were fo so focused on having diverse groups of people in the corporate office, get, making sure that they have the resources, but we were leaving out the I, the inclusion part. And how do you make people feel included? It's by honing in on your empathy skills. And, and if you don't have the I, nothing else matters. You can have the most diverse group of people, you can have all the resources, but they don't feel a part of the organization it doesn't matter. They're not going to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. So I applied for to be a TEDx speaker. And I just, I, I remember I filled out the application and I just, I just went and I just typed and I don't even think I reread it. And I didn't even tell my fiance that I applied for wow. it. So when I got it, I was like, I applied for this thing and I got it. <laughs> and um, I'm going to be traveling a lot this next year. So, um, but People like Tony, my relationship with Tony, students like Tony really are what I am so appreciative of and really give credit to my foundation of moving forward and being able to speak confidently on these topics. Well, he feels he has shared with me his gratitude yeah. for the help that you gave him. Good. Yeah, because he I've noticed that with some a lot of my students, I, I recently had someone who they have ADHD really bad. And I noticed in my class that this individual was late to turning everything in. Mm. He was a student was like when he did his work, it was phenomenal. And one day I contacted him and I said, I'd like you to stay after class or like, let's have a meeting kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he stayed and I said, I just kind of like said, what's going on, right? Like, I, I know you have an RCPD, like, do you need, which an RCPD is kind of like a visa. I mean, I'm not at, supposed to ask what they have unless they disclose to me. Oh, um, okay. Whether that's dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, bipolar disorder, whatever it is, I'm not supposed to ask. Sure. And I, I didn't. He disclosed to me that he had ADHD. And he was like, I'm, I'm, I just can't focus. I just can't focus. And I said, I'm going to rewrite the syllabus for you to accommodate your disability. And I recently got this long letter from him just saying that out of all the years of being in education, I was the one instructor who accommodated his needs and wow. made him feel seen. And that's my goal with a lot of my students is to make them feel seen. Mm -hmm. Courses are very different than the average college courses in terms of tests and exams. I don't do tests and exams. I do activities and projects. And I mm. think where learning really happens, especially with communication. You can learn a, a communicative theory, right? A communication theory. Right. But that doesn't mean you're going to go out and apply it to your marriage and family or to your work life. So what I would do is that would be your homework. I want you to go to work and I want you to give a compliment to one of your coworkers and tell them what goes. And it's uncomfortable. And communicating is uncomfortable. And getting your feelings out is uncomfortable. But you have to do it to be able to grow as an individual and grow with the people around you. Right. And so by the end of a lot of my courses, and this is kind of a humble brag, but a lot of my students, we have a very deep connection with each other in terms of relate. I know a lot about them. They know a lot about me. I've made them feel seen as a student for the first time in a long time because I'm not trying to get them just through the course. I'm not just trying to get them a grade. I'm trying 
to make sure that they actually learn. I'd ra- and I tell my students, I'd rather you make a C in my class, remember the concepts for the next 30 to 35 years, yeah. than make an A and never remember anything you just learned. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, I've said this many times on the show before, and I think it's an indictment on the entire educational system. I'm talking about from K up. Mm-hmm. Knowing, of course, if you know, again, we're going back to history for just a minute. If you know anything about the history of the public education system in America, uh, you know that it was designed to create factory workers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was the purpose of it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so for someone who is entrepreneurially inclined, it makes no sense. And so the whole idea or the whole notion of you're going to learn more if you fail. That doesn't make sense in that context at all. And I think we are failing our kids. And when I say kids, I'm talking about, you know, college age and down. Oh, I think we're failing them because we're not teaching them how important it is to fail, because that's when you really have the opportunity to learn. If you do something right, you don't learn a thing. I can't tell you how many students had anxiety about writing papers uh, and not. So, for example, I had this paper. I said, you can research anything you want about communication and relationships. Just research it. I mean, go down whatever rabbit hole you feel intrinsically motivated to go down. And the amount of meetings I had, students were like, wait, so like, what do you want? And I would have to sit there and say, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. And these are seniors. Mm -hmm. They don't have to go out into the workforce. That's scary. That is scary. (laughs) That's the thing that we're also seeing with students is their inability to ask for help when they need it in the workplace and not just in the workplace, but in college as well. They would rather not be seen as incompetent and hold their tongue and not ask for help than to ask for help and seen as incompetent or, and it's, I could go on and on about the K through 12 and college. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 10, 15 years. But as someone who went, I fell into that system, right? I went all the way to the highest level of an education you can possibly get. Did I know going into it that it was, it's just like any other business, right? Like, so if you work at a, if you only take marketing positions out of college for 15 years and you go and try and be a meteorologist or you go and try and go on broadcasting, it's really tough to make that transition. So I knew going into academia that I wanted to be a professor, but I loved the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But things change. Pandemics happen. Relationships fail. And so you kind of go on different trajectories. And I think that that's ultimately okay. And I think that with our K through 12 and our education system, the last 40 to 50 years has been, you get a job and you're going to stay in that job for the next 50 years and that's going to be your career. But what people fail to remember is that your personality, your hopes and dreams, they change every five years. And so it's okay if you want to change a career every five, 10 years, if you want to learn a new concept, A lot of people, what I've realized, a perk of being in academia is I have access to resources that maybe the average day person doesn't realize. So for example, maybe you have your corporate job and you hate it, but you just love interior designing. There are courses on Coursera for $20 that you can go take. Go take a masterclass. Go to YouTube University. People like me are starting channels on there that are... I'm teaching literally what I would have been teaching in the college classroom. And you don't have to pay $20,000 to go to a- Or more. Yeah, or more to see me teach. 
you can go online. You can book a one-on-one session with me on Allard Advising Consulting to just talk to me about your goals. And I can give you resources and help mentor and coach you through them, whether that's in terms of your relationship as a couple or you as an individual just wanting to hone your communication skills as a communication specialist, I can do that. So the education system, I do. I think that, and that's what I'm seeing with my college students is they, they're going in, they don't know what they want to do. They're here because society told them they're supposed to be here. Right. They know that the outcome after their four years is that on average, they're going to make 40 to 50,000. That isn't enough really for them to live comfortably nowadays and start a family. So I, it's also a violation of expectations to their parents as well, because parents are like, my son is 28 and still living with me. And oh, and I don't and he doesn't have a girlfriend or he doesn't have a family and blah, 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 blah. Whereas when they were 28, they did have a family. They, they did have all those things. Times are very different. Finances are different. The way people date today is very different. So <laughs> it's there's a lot of stuff going on. But I think that, yes, the education system, you really need to have your foot in a door outside of your bachelor's degree, whether that's your interning, you're saying yes to trying and failing these consulting businesses, but just mm-hmm. try and put your foot outside of your educational realm. Okay. Who is an ideal client for Allard Advising? Anyone. So I... Help, help me out here because I'm going to have to coach you here in just a second as an <laughs> entrepreneur because that answer is not going to help you. Let, yes, I know. But let me kind of clarify. So Please. the typical consultant for Allard Advising would be corporations, right? Okay. Uh, of it, what size? Mid to large level. So I can come in and do professional development for large companies on their communication and their trainings and their marketing. I So mid to large level, right? But I've also done some small business, small local businesses. Um, I tailor to everyone's needs. But when I say right. anyone, this is what I mean. A lot of consulting firms, they only market to large companies mm-hmm. and they don't market to the individuals within the companies. So anyone looking to develop their professional development communication skills can contact me and I will do one-on-one consulting with you or one of my other professionals will work with you. And so that's why I kind of say every anyone, I think that when you are marketing, think about clothing, right? When you're marketing clothing stores that only market to men, they're missing out on 50% of the other demographic, which are females, right? And so when I started thinking about my market, I wanted to open it up. I want to open up the market to where I want to break down that stigma of you can only contact a consultant if you're in a business or a corporation, but you can hire a communication specialist whenever. Okay. Okay. Just like a therapist can, who's, who's a therapist client? Anyone, right? Anyone who needs mental health needs. So anyone looking to develop their communication skills, I'm your ideal person to contact. Okay. Well, how do you help someone who doesn't think he or she needs help or doesn't know? So the best form of marketing is word of mouth still to this day. And we can see that in marketing plans. And I mean, there was a whole documentary on the vape vaping epidemic that was going around and they talked heavily about the marketing plan and the the best marketing was their word of mouth. And so getting into these corporations and having people say, Amanda Allard, Dr. Amanda Allard came in and spoke with us and she's a communication specialist and she works with one-on-one clients. She works with couples. She works with other organizations. That is where I believe my foot in the door will get with those individuals. I'm also doing marketing on social media platforms 
Mm-hmm. But like you said, it you people typically don't need that know that they need my communication help until they hit rock bottom or they're frustrated. And so mm-hmm. that's why I have my TEDx talk on loneliness, right? That is a relationship communication issue. And so I'm people typically don't know where to go from up, where from up when they hit rock bottom. And so mm-hmm. that's also a way I've been marketing is gotcha. through my social media. Okay. Because like you said, they don't know that they need my services. Mm-hmm. How would you go about helping um, an entrepreneur who knows his thing, his subject matter? He knows it, but no one will do the kind thing and tell him, you know your stuff, but you do a horrible job of getting it out there. Because I'll be honest, and I'm I'm just going to use this one thing. I'm going to use podcasting. Mm-hmm. I am inundated from people this even before I started my podcast because people knew that I liked listening to podcasts mm-hmm. so you've got to check out this podcast it's so good now the filter I use typically is that means the subject matter is good that does not mean that the person knows how to communicate it in fact most of the time it doesn't yeah um, I'll be honest and I've probably used this phrasing with you before Dr. Amanda I'm a communication snob I am I have no problem saying that just because you have something to say does not mean you know how to say it. Yeah. And for me, honestly, you get five seconds. Mm -hmm. That's why. And I'm going to get backlash because I say this because I do every time I say it. Gary Vanderchuk has great things to say, and he is a terrible communicator. I cannot stand listening to that guy. I'll read his stuff, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I can't listen at all. It Mm -hmm. just, it doesn't work for me at all. Mm-hmm. His shtick is not my thing. Yeah. Not even a little bit. And so his, and that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning with messaging, right? Like, so Gary's message doesn't resonate with you and that's okay. And there's something about your background, your life experiences, your learned behaviors, that it just doesn't stick. Whereas for someone else, it really does. I think it goes, he's more, and it might be the motivational aspect of it, right? So like people like Tony Robinson, uh, Eric Thomas, Gary Vee, right? People are motivated and listen to motivational speakers. And I'm sure people listen to Gary and they feel motivated to go out and work. But that doesn't mean it's going to generate revenue unless you do the basic entrepreneurial business tactics to get revenue driven, right? And so wow. they may attribute their success to Gary. Gary may have influenced their success. But my grandma influenced my drive to go to, you know, academia that mm-hmm. I don't, you know, but, you know, she isn't at the forefront of, you know, Allard advising. We right. have influences from everywhere, all over the place. Right. Speakers can be put on this pedestal. But I agree. Just because you have something to say or, or going back to your original question of like what I would say to an entrepreneur who knows their stuff, is really passionate. I am definitely that person who can knock them down a notch and say, you're going about this wrong you're thinking about this incorrectly. And I've dealt with clients with Allard Advising with my consulting who they want to go one way with their messaging and branding. I'm sitting here and I'm, in my head, I'm like, this is really garbage. Like this is garbage what we're doing. And I know it. And so something I might do is market research. And that's where my statistical analysis background really comes into play is I'll say, let's see what general Americans think about this. And mm-hmm. so I'll send it out on Prolific or Qualtrics or SurveyMonkey and I'll get 50 to 100 people and I'll say, 
75% said that your branding doesn't make sense. Mm. That is, it's not just me now. It's not just your graphic designer who it's, it's now them. And if you still want to move forward with it, that's great. But I'm just letting you know what the general public is saying. And there's a probability. And that's what statistics is. It's a probability that if you were to launch this, it Mm. may not resonate. So an entrepreneur, I would, um, I'm definitely aware of the fact that sometimes it can be hard to penetrate their because they're so motivated, they're so ready to go. But at the end of the day, all business is empathy-based and communication-based. And you're right. Just because you have something to say doesn't mean you should say it. And in fact, sometimes silence speaks louder than words. And also, too, when you're making a sale, don't blabber on, right? I have definitely, you know, take the yes and move along. Don't Mm -hmm. sit there for an hour to two hours and talk someone's head off. When you've you've made a good impression, you've got what you've needed, move on. Yep, for sure. We have talked about relationships throughout our time here, mm-hmm. uh, but this is something I ask all of my guests. I want to know what it is that you're doing right now to build into, to improve, and to make better your most significant relationships at home, and what impact do those relationships have on your business? So... I'm choosing my words wisely (laughs) because I want to share with everyone something I've been doing for the last three years that has made a huge impact and something I share with everyone that I typically come across that I think everyone should know about. Um, Again, I came across this information during my academic career, but it's accessible to everyone. And it blew my mind when I wasn't even aware of it. And it's like literally at our fingertips. Mm. So John Gottman has a 92% accuracy rate of determining divorce. He is in the Guinness Book of World Records. He basically got divorced, I think, one or two times. And he's a psychologist. And he said, this is unbelievable. I, you know, he turned to the literature and he wanted to know why he was getting divorced. And it was just very, yeah, the the research. So he created uh, what he calls the Love Lab. And for the last 30 years, him and his wife, Julie Gottman, have been researching couples and the types of communication, the behaviors that they do to help influence their relationship. And within Mm -hmm. 10 minutes of of a discussion, he can tell if you're going to make or break or an argument. He can tell you if you're going to get divorced or not. So as I mentioned earlier, I got out of a serious relationship at the beginning of 2020. But when I this new relationship with my current fiance, the first thing we did, as I said, we are getting the eight dates book by John Gottman. And it is eight conversations you need to have before and during throughout your relationship with your significant other. Mm. And the conversations include concepts such as trust, sex, religion, children, dreams, conflict, finances. And we sat down and we would focus in on one topic for three hours and have a glass of wine. And we'd have these long drawn out conversations And that was what was the foundation of us understanding the way we communicated. Mm. We were always, so conflict, for example, I quickly learned, oh, this is why you handle conflict this way. And this is why I handle conflict this way. When we meet newly married couples, when we meet anyone who is in a marriage, we say, the person you're married to today is different than the person you married five years ago. And do you know what his or her hopes or dreams are today? Probably not. Because how often do you say, where do you want to be in 10 years? Because life goes by so quick that we forget to ask those questions. So what I do currently in my relationship is Dylan and I 
have those conversations. We have a date night once a week, if even if it's 30 minutes. Yes. We, we are due for, we do it every three or five years. We are due for another eight dates, kind of like tour, I guess you could say, where okay. it's like four months, we just really, that's what we do. Our date nights are that. Okay. So just to check back in with each other, because three years ago, I was starting a PhD program. Now I'm getting out of a PhD program. Things are very differently. So that's sure. what, why are, why do relationships matter in terms of work? Because they influence your mood. They influence how you feel on the inside. And emotions are contagious. It's called emotional contagion. And if you are having a fight or a dispute with, with your wife or your husband and you come to work, it rubs off on people. And I'm not telling you to sit here and mask it. I'm not saying that you should, if you're going through a divorce, to smile and suck it up, right? Because I think vulnerability is really important in connecting with other people. So there's a time and a place to be vulnerable. So again, kind of going to the communication, right? There's a time and a place to communicate your what's going on in your home life. There are certain people I say you should share it with in your corporate life. And there's details you should share with your coworkers. And there are details you should definitely not share with your coworkers. But what goes on in your home life? If you work a 40 to 60 hour job, there's 100 extra hours throughout your week that are influenced by your relationships at home. And if your home life is not good, that is what takes years off your life. That is what weakens your immune system. That is what impacts your perception when you look back at 60, when you're 60 and you look back on the last 40 years of your life. That's what impacts your life is your relationships at home. So if you aren't already investing in your relationships, you should be because they obviously, as John already knows, will impact your revenue. For sure. Folks, I don't think I can say it any better than Dr. Amanda. I've been saying this for three plus years. <laughs> I hope you've been hearing it, but now you get to hear it from a doctor. Yeah. So, <laughs> so don't take my word for it. Take hers. Thank you. How would you define success? Oh, I would define success as living your happy, rich life. So I, oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but there is, um, he has a Netflix show on like how to live your rich life. And I thought it was amazing when he came out. I don't agree with everything that anyone ever says, but something I agree with is, you know, you should never try and keep up with the Joneses because what they're going through is very different than what you're going through, right? So how you handle your money, I say, uh, put it to things that are going to make you happy. So for example, I, I have friends who make good money, but they live in a home that you would never imagine someone who makes that money would live in, but they spend their money on gadgets and toys and trips and they go places and they're happy and that's mm -hmm. success to them. And so success to me is not comparing yourself to anyone else and developing your relationship and empathy skills. Because again, the person on their deathbed at 85 who has a lot of money in the bank, but no family, no friends versus someone who lived a comfortable life, had enough money to meet their ends, maybe had more than they needed, but has a room full of friends and family around them. I think that is a successful life, in my opinion. Love that. What would you say is your top daily habit? And if you can't limit it to one, can you give me a top three? So a daily habit I do is I work out. Okay. It's a core thing that I have to do. Uh, and if I definitely haven't worked out, I notice it and how it affects mm -hmm. the rest of my day and my product productivity. And even my fiance will say, you know, you haven't worked out in a while. I think you 
you know, not like like you need to like weight wise, but like I, you know, I can tell that you're stressed. I think you should go work out. I think I know it will make you feel better. I get snippy when I don't do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't feel good. I don't. Yeah. I'm I'm in a career in a job where I sit for 10 to 14 hours a day or or mm-hmm. could sit for 10 to 14 hours a day. So yeah. moving my body and not taking it for granted is something I'm grateful for. And I think gratuity is something that's really important. So being grateful that you can move your body. So when I was an athlete, so I can definitely tell you that the way I moved my body when I was 18 playing sports is different than I am today at 27. So I'm grateful yeah. that I can still move my body. So I work out. The other daily habit I have is I read my Bible every day and I do a devotional and I study it and I am religious and I am a Christian and I think it's important that people lean into their religion. It's what gets me through some of my hardest times in business is leaning on my faith. Sure. The other kind of core, the third common thing that I do is I, I spend time with my friends and family and I make that a priority. And I take the phone calls from my fiance when he calls, uh, even mm-hmm. when I'm busy, or I call him back. I make a point to reach out to my friends and set up girl nights or whatever it may be. Because, and I, every day, so every day I wake up and I work out, I do my uh, devotional, I get ready for my day. And I think, how can I connect with the most people in my life? And that's how I personally feel like I'm living my most successful life right now. That's great. What impact would you say your faith has on your business? A lot. So as a Christian, I definitely believe that I'm not supposed to fear anything, that my God and Jesus have done all of the suffering that needs to be done for me. And that it's really not, it's their will. And I'm just doing what they need me to do. And so for a long time, I questioned, what is my purpose on this earth? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And I denied my mom's incarceration and I denied my past. And I quickly realized that I went through all of that to then go on to get a degree in communication. And when I was sitting here, I have another cohort member who is very religious. We'll have conversation. I'm like, why did God want me to get a communications degree? And it's because I need to help others communicate. I, I see no other reason in it. And in five, 10 years, that may be different, right? I may mm-hmm. notice that I'm meant to do something else. Maybe I'm called to be a mom, a stay-at-home mom. And that is my purpose that God is calling me to be. And maybe I got my communication degree so that I can have a healthy relationship and showcase that to our mine and Dylan's children as a stay-at-home mm-hmm. mom. And so I don't think that anything's ever wasted. And so no. I think that my faith plays a huge role in my business because I just don't fear anything. I know that it's in his time, not my time. And that's a, it's a safe and comforting foundation. And for anyone who's in business who maybe doesn't have that same and comforting foundation, and I would encourage you to check out Christianity because when you read the Bible front to back, it really opens your eyes to a lot of things. For sure. It can definitely do that. No doubt about that. What would you say makes a great leader? Servant leadership. So if you've ever, so a lot of people don't know this, but at Concordia University of Texas, one of their pillars is leadership. And so I took a lot of leadership-based courses outside of my business degree because Mm -hmm. that's how much they cared about leadership. And so servant-based leadership is service-driven and you're always trying to give back. 
And so at Concordia, I had to do a lot I had to do. Uh, they, I was required to do community service. And when I tell you required, I mean like 15% of a course would be community service. Wow. And they would say, you have to do this to complete this course or else you fail the class. And so mm. I went and spent time with individuals in nursing homes. I went to the juvenile delinquent center and spoke with men who are incarcerated. I went and built homes with Habitat for Humanity. I went to food shelters and served food to the homeless in downtown Austin. And when you give back, it's the Good Samaritan effect for sure. Mm -hmm. But you are impacting people in a positive manner and you're connecting with people. And if you have a servant leadership mindset, when you are a leader of a company and you're trying to mentor your employees, you're always trying to be their biggest supporter. You're going to you're going to see employees that do things for you that no other company will have them do. They'll go out of their way to service your dream and your business. Right. But it's always constantly giving back. I mean, it's it's why George Washington is known as this great leader. Right. He he went into battle with his with his troops. And similarly, as a leader, I think servant leadership is really important. But another key underlying point of it, looking back, it just has been a recurring theme in my life is empathy. To be a great servant leader, you have to be empathetic and self-aware. And that's why you contact consultants like me, because just because you read a book about empathy one time doesn't mean you forget about it. You need to continuously improve those skills. You know, it's interesting that you said that. I had a, a guest on recently, uh, Dr. Jen Frazier. Mm. She's written several books, but the book that I talked to her most about was called The Bullied Brain. It's, it's a book about bullying and neuroscience and how prevalent bullying is in, say, in school, specifically sports, mm -hmm. but also in the workplace, yep. how often it actually happens and what impact it actually physically has on our brains. Oh, and I think bullying is gossip. Negative gossip can be a part of bullying. So yeah, I mentioned my dissertation was on gossip and the effects gossip has on individuals, but also their relationships. And what the literature has really shown is that when you enter a workplace where there is a lot of negative gossip, even if it's not about you, it's about another person, mm -hmm. it's going to show you that this is not a healthy environment. It's going to make you want to leave the workplace sooner it's not going to motivate you to perform well versus yeah. if you, and let me clarify what gossip is because I think a oh, lot please. of get confused on the difference between rumors versus feedback versus gossip. So gossip is the evaluative communication about an absent third party member. So mm. it's an evaluation. It's an opinion. So Tony, we just recently talked about him, right? Yeah. He's not here in this podcast room right now. He's not. But we spoke positively about him. But we had an opinion about him, but it was mm -hmm. positive. It's still gossip. Mm. And when and third party people are going to be hearing it as well, right? People yeah. of the podcast. And so that influences their view of Tony. Yeah. And it, since it was positive and Tony's this great guy and he's this great student and he's learning and I think he's a great role model. And obviously you do too as well. He's yeah. a mutual friend of ours. People are going to want to affiliate with him more. They're probably going to research who he is, right? Mm. So it's important to speak kindly about people be because it influences the way we think about them. So gossip is an evaluation. It's an opinion. Rumors. What's different between a rumor and a gossip? Rumor. Rumors are basically untruthful events, right? So if I told you, mm. hey, 
my mom or I think Beyonce's flying into town, into your hometown today. I love Beyonce. I don't know if that's true. And it's not an opinion. It's kind of this untruthful, maybe potentially hypothetical message. So that's a wrong feedback. Feedback is said to your face. It's an evaluation said to you. So if you're called into your corporate office and your director looks at you and says, I think you could improve the way you are selling for our organization. That's not gossip. He's saying it right here. She is saying it right to your face. So there is a difference between all three of those. For sure. Clearly. And obviously you just gave us a high level overview. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, because your dissertation goes much deeper into that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, folks, anything that we've been talking about here that can be referenced outside of the show, we'll have in the show notes. And I'll figure out a way to get Dr. Amanda's dissertation in the show notes so you guys (laughs) can take a look at it if you want to, because I'm actually intrigued by the notion of reading it. So, but that's, that's how my brain works. So yeah. I'm all about learning and improving and getting better because anything that I learn, even if I can't use it for me, I can be a conduit and be able to share it with other people. 100%. And I think another important thing that I will say is every research, everything you see, there's a flaw to it, right? So even in my dissertation, there were things that I could have improved. There's probably something I missed. In 20, 30 years, I hope someone looks back at my dissertation and says, huh, that was just, you know, scraping the surface, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when you hear an academic speak, when you hear anyone speak who's a professional, always ask why and question. And if you continuously do that, because that's ultimately what you do when you get a PhD is you're just always asking why and questioning what you're being taught. Mm-hmm. But always, ask, you know, question what you're hearing. I think you'll always be one step ahead of what everyone else is thinking. Love that. Love that advice. We're getting close to wrap up time here, Dr. Amanda. But before we do that, if folks want to reach out to you in some way, they want to find you, they want to learn more about you, where are the best places for us to do that? So you can find me on social media, any of the major social media sites. But even to just get there, I would recommend Googling AllardAdvising.com. And there is a place for you to contact me. There's a place, all of my social medias are linked there as well. And let's say you're not ready to work with me right away and you just want to follow me on social media until the time is right. I, on my TikTok and my Facebook and my Instagram, I have short little clips of little nuggets you can start implementing every day before you actually work with me one-on-one to improve your communication skills. Love that. Love that. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So we're coming up to our final four, the four quick questions. You'll appreciate this as a... We'll call yourself a retired athlete. How's that? Okay, okay. So it's rapid fire. Yeah, rapid fire. You just tell me the first thing that pops in your head. Okay. Okay, here's number one. Why did God create Amanda? To help others. Okay. What are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Reading. I'm always reading something, so I, I don't, I don't, I, like, there's like seven books that come to my mind. I, I've been Feel free to share any of those that you want. I I recently read The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. And I think that that's a really great foundation book for anyone looking into trying to figure out how to talk about finances or having conversations about finances. So that's a book I would recommend. I really enjoyed that one right now, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. 
And the podcast that I've been really entrenched in lately is The Diary of a CEO by Stephen Barlett. He has really great guests on there. And similar to what you said, John, these are individuals who are top in their field. Um, Some of them are really great. I recommend reading their books, not listening to their podcasts or vice versa or do both. But those are the two kind of areas that I've been kind of honing in on to develop my knowledge right now. Gotcha. What do you like to do for fun? I this it's going to sound so cheap. I really enjoy my marketing and just sitting down and being able to create posts. It's where my creativity really gets to come out. So I get it's okay. kind of like my fun right now. Oh, dancing. I love to go dancing. I am a dancer. Okay. I am on the dance floor. Um, I'm def- and I'm, I'm not a big drinker. So I'm definitely one of those individuals that like, I just love to dance and be out and interacting with people at mm-hmm. clubs. And that's something that my, we're young. We don't have kids right now. And so we definitely go out quite a bit and love to eat good food and love to dance. Okay, great. What are you most grateful for? My struggles. Hmm. I don't think um, there was a recent study done where they asked people to write down all of the horrific things that happened in their life, like their trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the survey, they said, if you could go back and erase all of that trauma, would you? And I believe it was it was something high. It was like 98% said they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm always grateful for the struggles that I endure because it brings me closer to my faith. And then it also helps me grow as an individual. For sure. I, I would say... Uh, I like to say it this way, Dr. Amanda, it's the P3. Pain leads to purpose, which leads to platform Mm -hmm. in that order. Now, you don't get to purpose without working through the pain. Yeah. You don't pretend like it's not there. You don't develop a new addiction to help numb it away. You do the hard work. Mm -hmm. You work through it to get to the other because that's where purpose is. It's on the other side of pain. Exactly. So I never, I don't view pain now as a bad thing. I almost kind of wear it as a badge of honor mm-hmm. in the sense that when I work through it and I get to that purpose, which leads to a platform, it reminds me that my pain is not for me. It no. never was. My pain is actually for other people. Yeah. The amount of people I've been able to connect with because, or they've been able to be vulnerable with me when I say that I've dealt with secondhand incarceration. Because again, if you just saw me on the street, I've been told that you would never guess that I dealt with that or that my family dealt with that. How could you tell that by looking at somebody? You can't. And so when you do, I mean, there there are stereotypes. I've had people, it's it's always funny. They're like, you don't look like you've gone through that. And I'm like, I don't, how do you know what someone looks like that's gone? (laughs) I mean, I I don't know. It's only stereotyping, but... I, the amount, when I walked into the juvenile delinquent centers in my undergrad and was able to truly say, because I was able to be empathetic with them because empathy is different than sympathy. Sympathy sympathy is basically saying like, oh, that looks like it sucks. I'm so sorry. Right. Mm -hmm. Empathy is able to say, tell me more about this. I had something similar happen. Right. Not going deep into my stuff, but I felt angry during this time. What do you feel while you're incarcerated? Yeah, I feel angry, man. That's tough. Right. And sitting there and listening to it. And so, the, like you said, I have a platform now. And I, statistically speaking, I should not have gone on to get a PhD. My parents filed bankruptcy. They couldn't even co-sign for my loans to get into college. There was a moment where I thought I wasn't going to go to college. Mm-hmm. The 
probability of me ending up in jail was higher because my mom went to prison. Right. Uh, and to overcome those odds, I can relate to more people because every, what I always try to teach my students was when you become grateful of life and you start to look at people around them, the way I look at people is everyone has this beautiful story and everyone is unique. And when you genuinely are interested in learning about someone else around you, oh my gosh, your whole world is going to change. And you're going to look at people as these beautiful entities and, and stop being scared and anxious to just say hi and how are you doing? And can I be here for you? I mean, I could go on and talk about boundaries and empathy and emotional accuracy, but just look at if I had like, like I said, I think my, God's purpose for me was to help people. And I'm trying to help people realize that the people around you are so uniquely beautiful. And I encourage you to try and get to know them on a deeper level, but also mm. get to know yourself on a deep level as well yeah. so that you can live a really fulfilled life. For sure. Well, Dr. Amanda, thank you so much for your thank time you. today, uh, for sharing what I know is just a little bit yeah. about you and your story. and but I'm excited for you and the future you have coming up, which by the way, we did not ask earlier. So we should ask, I wouldn't be doing you the service if I didn't. When are you and Dylan tying the knot? February 3rd, 2024. So it's coming, coming up. Actually, I'm going to do my first look for my wedding dress today. So oh, good for you. Yeah. So uh, we've known That's exciting. for 12 years. We've mm. been together three and a half. And so I think, I'm just really excited to marry my best friend and my partner right. and just kind of start this journey of because of life together. Good, good. I'm glad you're excited about that. Yeah. That's exciting. I, I hope a lot, of, a lot of people are excited to get married. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope so, yeah. too. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for being such a gracious guest and for sharing so much of yourself with us. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. You bet. Thanks to all of you for tuning in today because you have shared your most precious resource with us and that's your time. We know it's something you can't get back and so I appreciate the investment of your time. So thanks for being here and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.